Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This podcast episode contains graphic descriptions of domestic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams, and today we're going back to Wednesday, the 8th of September, 1954. That was the day that a young Sydney woman seeking a divorce gave court evidence about horrific domestic abuse she'd suffered at the fists of her husband. His name? Rodney Sturt Taylor, soon to be Australia's biggest international movie star. Finding subjects for this podcast, I refer to history books, biographies, old magazines, documentaries, you name it. My go-to, though, are the digital newspapers found at the National Library of Australia's Trove database. Often, I'll just select a date and a year and download an entire issue to have a flick through and see what was happening. That's how I found yesterday's story, and it's also how I found today's. Like many of us, I very much enjoyed Rod Taylor's two best-known films. I saw 1960's The Time Machine and 1963's The Birds as a young child, and I thought they were terrific. I was also amazed to learn that this leading man working in Hollywood was an Australian from the western suburbs of Sydney. Many of Rod Taylor's other Hollywood movies passed me by, but I loved 1977's The Picture Show Man and seeing him 20 years later in the so bad it's brilliant Welcome to Whoop Whoop. And I was happy that Quentin Tarantino, who specialises in plucking his favourite actors from obscurity, gave Rod Taylor one last role in 2009's Inglorious Bastards. So I'd class myself not as a major fan, but as someone who'd liked what I'd seen and who was aware that Rod Taylor had blazed the trail that'd be followed later by the Antipodean likes of Mel Gibson, Russell Crowe, Hugh Jackman, Heath Ledger and Chris Hemsworth. By the time Rod Taylor died on the 7th of January 2015 at the age of 84, he'd been the subject of a biography by Australian writer Stephen Vag. Shortly after Rod Taylor died, he was the subject of a colourful documentary featuring interviews with him, testimonials from his co-stars and from critics, along with stacks of footage from his movies. Neither the biography or the documentary reference the material you're about to hear, though it has been in the public record for nearly 70 years. First, a little background about Rod Taylor. He was born on the 11th of January 1930 in Lidcombe in Western Sydney. His family claim to fame was that his great-great-granduncle was the explorer Charles Sturt, hence his middle name. Rod Taylor's father was an artist, his mother a writer, and by his own account, these two creative people argued a lot. His biographer Stephen Vag said this included physical abuse. After going to Parramatta High School, Rod trained at East Sydney Technical College, becoming a proficient sculptor and commercial artist. Two things got him interested in acting. One was Sir Laurence Olivier's 1948 Old Vic Tour of Australia. The other was listening to radio serials while he worked. Rod was inspired by the greatness of Sir Larry, but thought that many of the radio performances were so terrible that he could do better. So he took acting classes, paying for his tuition by working as a backdrop and window artist for Mark Foy's department store. 
By 1950, he was an established radio actor, and he got a lot of publicity when he made his screen debut in a short film reenacting his ancestor, Charles Sturt's most famous expedition. With this film released early the following year as part of the 50th anniversary of Australian Federation. At this time, rising star Rod was still doing his day job. It was at Mark Foy's that he met a young model who'd been getting as much or even more press than he had. She was 21-year-old Marie Joanna Williams, who was known to all as Peggy. Peggy was a striking brunette, originally from a good family in Armadale, who in 1950 had been named Model of the Year. Peggy was a familiar face and figure because her photos and her opinions on men, marriage, fashion and beauty appeared regularly in Sydney newspapers and magazines in 1950 and 1951. Rodney and Peggy, two handsome young up-and-comers, got married on the 19th of April 1952 and they took a flat in Elizabeth Bay. Happy times did not follow. In his book, which is called Rod Taylor and Aussie in Hollywood, Stephen Vag wrote that they were separated by the middle of next year, that was 1953, when Rod was making his first feature film, King of the Coral Sea. Stephen Vag tracked down people who'd known Rod and Peggy at the time. One told him that they'd fought like wildcats. Another said their marital disharmony was probably because Rod was too cerebral for his wife. But another friend hinted at a darker picture. Quote, he treated her very badly. I remember one night at dinner, whenever she spoke, it was, shut up, Peg. You know, get us another coffee. He was very much a chauvinist in those days. Stephen Vag wrote that Rod blamed the failure of their marriage on their youth and Peggy's reluctance to give up her modelling career. He quoted him as saying, Marriage takes complete cooperation at all times, and when you get two egos each fighting an outside war, there's bound to be trouble. Stephen Vag told me yesterday that he had had other suspicions, but no evidence. Thus, he was legally unable to make reference to them because he published his book in 2010. Rod Taylor was still alive then and might have been able to sue. Likewise, he told me that his interviewees were elderly and wouldn't go on the record with what they knew. At the time Stephen Vag was writing and researching his book, Trove was yet to be launched. That meant searching archival newspapers was often like looking for a needle in a haystack, and he didn't stumble upon the newspapers that I did a few days ago. Neither apparently has the fan who regularly updates www.rodtaylorsite.com, though this resource does provide some detail about his marriage to Peggy Williams from Rod Taylor's point of view. One quote is sourced to a 1963 interview in which Rod Taylor said of his marriage, quote, That was ridiculous. I wasn't mature enough to guide the relationship, and neither was she. It lasted three years. I've been trying to grow up ever since. Rod Taylor further explained himself in a 1967 article quoted on the website. I married at a tender age during my early stage and radio struggles. She was a beautiful girl, a top model I met when I was working at Mark Foy's. We were both very young and the rock we founded on was strictly a career clash. Peggy Williams only got to tell her side of the story once, and that was on this day in 1954. Here's the headline from page 3 of that day's issue of Sydney's The Sun newspaper. Models, three black eyes. At this time in Australia, cause had to be shown in court for a divorce to be granted. 
So Mrs. Marie Joanna Taylor, as was her legal married name, was on the 8th of September seeking a decree nisi on the grounds of her husband, Rodney Sturt Taylor's, quote, repeated assaults and cruel beatings. In an affidavit before Supreme Court Justice William Dovey, King's Counsel, Peggy had set out how she'd worked as a model until November 1951 and then become a sales assistant at Broadway Motors until her marriage the following April. The Sun reported, quote, After her marriage, she had suggested she should continue part-time modelling, but her husband objected. Mrs Taylor said she had done some modelling work during her marriage. With her affidavit submitted, Peggy gave the rest of her evidence directly to the judge. Around the end of 1952, though the newspaper mistakenly says 1953, Rod Taylor started staying out late and drinking heavily. When Peggy asked him what he was up to, he told her to mind her own business. In March 1953, when she questioned him again, he told her he wanted to lead his own life, and Peggy testified that this time he, quote, punched me in the face, twisted my arm, and gave me a black eye. In May or June, Rod assaulted her again, blackening an eye and causing severe markings about her face. Mr Justice Dovey asked, quote, Was he sober when he did this? Mrs Taylor replied, I really would not know. Mr Justice Dovey responded, Oh, he was a good actor. Around July 1953, Peggy said her husband had come at her with a beer bottle, and in deflecting his attack, she'd been left with a cut hand. On this occasion, the caretaker of their building had had to intervene. Around August 1953, Rod Taylor had punched his wife in the stomach. A month later, during what Peggy called a, quote, severe beating, he inflicted another black eye, and this time his blows left her unconscious. The Sun newspaper reported that Peggy had left Rod in October 1953. There would also be a shorter, less accurate report in Sydney's Truth newspaper the following Sunday, under the glib headline, Radio Actor Free With His Fists, Wife Claims. The accompanying article even lightheartedly suggested that, given his proclivities, Rod might be better off as a pugilist than as a performer. Both The Sun and Truth reported that Justice Dovey had said he thought Rod Taylor's behaviour was almost unbelievable. Here's the thing though, divorce cases were often contested, so Rod Taylor could have come to court and denied his wife's claims. In doing so, however, he would have opened himself up to possible perjury charges if Justice Dovey had decided to call the caretaker as a witness. That Rod Taylor didn't show up to court told Justice Dovey everything he needed to know. Quote, I cannot imagine any self-respecting man allowing a charge of this serious character to go undefended if the charge is not well-founded. He certainly believed in deeds, not words. Unfortunately, they were misdeeds. Justice Dovey granted Peggy Williams her divorce. Peggy didn't do any further modelling that I've been able to find. According to Stephen Vag's biography, Peggy was to remarry, but after losing a son and her husband to illness, became an alcoholic. And Rod Taylor? Back then, criminal cases arising from domestic violence were rare because what was known as wife-beating was considered a private affair. And while some women would try to free themselves in the divorce courts, very few would try to have their abusive husbands put behind bars. As for public shame and career ruin, well, just over two months after the divorce, on the 17th of November 1954, 
Rod Taylor was back on page three of The Sun, photographed with another Sydney model. The article began, quote, Handsome 23-year-old Australian radio and film star Rodney Taylor had a group of Sydney beauties to see him off to Hollywood from Sydney Airport today. Curly-haired, well-built Taylor, who has starred in many radio plays and appeared in Long John Silver, has been offered a film test by Paramount Studios. The headline? He's for Hollywood. And he was. In 2016, not long after Rod Taylor died and his obituaries had written Peggy out of his life or dismissed her as an early romantic mistake, that colourful documentary about the actor was released. Its title? Rod Taylor, Pulling No Punches. The first words we hear in the film, which are meant to show its subject as a knockabout, heart of gold Aussie, come from Rod Taylor himself. This is what he says. A typical Aussie, anything he likes, he loves. Anything he dislikes, he hates. And anything he doesn't understand, he hits. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. I'll be taking a short break to catch up, and I'll return soon with more new episodes. If you've got a moment, I'd love it if you could leave a review for the show at iTunes, because it'll help it reach other people. Australia on This Day is written and produced by me in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. As always, thanks for listening and I'll catch you soon. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.